one of these days I just want to, I want to do the countdown, but make it like three, two, one, go. <laughs> I'll just stare at you. You will get no reaction out of me. <laughs> we'll not hit record. Just no. fucking. No. This bitch. Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we are movie detectives. I'm Douglas and with me as always is my co-host Jonathan. How are you, Jonathan? Oh, I'm so I'm so good. I'm so prepared. I'm so I was expecting that and I was I'm totally on top of it. If this is your first time tuning in the 250, we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 films of all time as of January 2020, and I've been watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, thoughts, and reactions to the movies within, which was not on the teleprompter. I just want to point it out. I don't know what happened there. Uh today's movie. Is a bonus film, bonus number twenty-eight, fistful of dollars. A cowboy with no master sees some men fighting a peasant man and follows the direction they ride, leading him to a small village where two businessmen struggle for control of the local smuggling trade. Did you just copy and paste your Jimbo's? I may intro? have. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker. Uh, Fistful of Dollars is directed by Sergio Leone, who is known for A Few Dollars More, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West. He's very, like, you know, the, the Western guy, pretty much. Very prolific. It was written by Adriano Bolzoni, who, is, that's such a sick name, by the way, uh, did The Fourth Wall and Night of the Assassin. Mark Lowell, who did High School Hellcats. And The Diary of a High School Bride, uh, which Jonathan has written in parentheses, seems to mostly be crappy films, which I think is very derogatory to one's creative outlet, but that's fine. Uh, and Victor Andre Catina, who is known for Sandoka the Great and MMM83. Look, when <laughs> you click on these writers and it shows their most... Known for pieces, and none of them breach six out of ten. You go, oh no! You're like, something's going on here. Neither, Neither does Jonathan I have watched fuck. this film before. Cool. <laughs> Too slow. Completely in sync today, I guess. Uh, what did you think? Well, the reason we did this first and foremost is because I wanted to wet our appetites before we get to um for a few dollars more which is up and coming in the next batch of five films. So I figured we probably ought to get the original under our belt before we get to that. So mm. that's the intent. Yeah. So I've, I, I, I was the one who wrote that prompt in the beginning, the exciting bit about us being film detectives, Douglas. Solving Why? a solving a film crime. There's been Why? there's been a theft, Douglas. A theft <gasps> of a screenplay. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, Yo oh. Jimbo. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like that actual script. Okay, fair enough. Um. <laughs> Yes. That would be <laughs> like way someone, more interesting. I know. Like, that's why I really got intrigued all of a sudden. I was like, someone, like, stole the book and then they had to, like, write. Anyway. Um, yes. It's uh, very heavily inspired by Yojimbo. And I think I'm glad that this film has come up in the 250 where it, well, it's, we've, for a few dollars more, has come up in the 250 so we could put this here. Uh is while Yojimbo is still very fresh in our mind, it gives us a good frame of ability to compare and contrast, which is exciting. Yes. 
Douglas, I don't know about you, but I sort of felt like the story of these two films is pretty similar. <laughs> Something about it. Just really, uh... Feels, feels a little bit like Sergio is a little bit inspired by a little Kurosawa. I was gonna, I was gonna say, everyone keeps saying inspired. And even in, like, the letterbox reviews, people are like, oh, it's kind of like Yojimbo. And it's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's, like, almost beat for beat the same film. And I, yeah. I, 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 I will, we'll, dig, we'll dig into it more in the spoilers, but it truly, it felt to me, like, I was like, I almost feel like this plot makes no fucking sense unless you've seen Yojimbo. Like... It's oh, it's bizarre. It's really weird. It's really, really odd. Um, but we'll talk more about the story later. It was just like it was very hard to look past. It does feel a bit like a cover. You know what I mean? Like mm. you know how people do covers of songs. This feels like a cover of Yojimbo. Well, like people do like spiritual successes or even like sort of remake a film, like another another Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, or, you know. Yeah. 15, 20 years down the line, and you're like, cool, okay, well, it's a different person's take, and it, even if it sucks, you're like, there's there's still more enough. enough uh, you vibed immensely with the um, the original piece, yeah. Um, cool, but when it's literally three years later, and I think I- I believe there was a bunch of like intellectual rights like scuffles around this. I think Kurosawa I, was not too pleased. I believe. I would say, yeah, Kurosawa probably would have been. Entirely all too happy with a uh, a Western, a much more succinct Western adaptation of his work, which it feels, it does feel a bit full circle because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember Kurosawa being inspired by Westerns yeah. for Yojimbo. Yeah. So, for it to come full circle and then come all the way back around again into being a Western and directed by one of the most prolific western directors spaghetti western uh directors is kind of like whoa you know what i mean yeah. it's it's it 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 feels a bit inevitable that the story of yojimbo or that style of story that screenplay was inevitably going to find its way into the hands of mm. some incredibly passionate western um maker because they just see it and they go the horses <laughs> give me out <laughs> guns <laughs> it's just odd it's just odd um but there are some very key missing parts that i feel set yojimbo apart from uh, a fistful of dollars that really make Yojimbo pop a lot more. Not Absolutely. to like fistful of dollars is a completely fine film. I'm gonna that's that's where I'm at. It's it's a perfectly three and a half star film for me. It just you know like it it. I think like three and a half is a bit optimistic. It's got some pretty fun cinematography. Ennio Morricone going fucking whacking his dick off for like thirty minutes worth of soundtrack, but. What he does with that 30 minutes of soundtrack, I think, is quite fun. How he, like, interprets and makes different variations of his little um, leitmotifs and things that he's created to make them fit the vibe or the energy of whatever it is that's happening. I think it also sets up Clint Eastwood as the Western guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think from a cultural standpoint i represent it in that space but i yojimbo is the better film yeah uh it is, it is cool. i mean the OG. it makes him look really cool which is which is interesting because we've um 
How many Clint Eastwood, Eastwood yeah. how many Clint Eastwood films we've had so far? We've had three, maybe? Four? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yep. We've had Million Dollar Baby, Million Gran Torino, yeah. and uh fuck the Western one that he did. The directed. old Western one. Yeah. Which I, well, who cares? Um <laughs> and like Million Dollar Baby was really good. The other two were horse shit. But <laughs> He was in the, like, the sad grandpa, you know, zone for all of those. So, seeing him yeah. as, like- In his prime. Mm. He's yummy in this film. He's he's a, a sexy little man. He's a hot little boy. Absolutely. Takes the hat off. I should I'm say like, that. He's a I'm hot like, little man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hot big man. He's a, he's the biggest man. He's a hot, big, grown adult. <laughs> um, I wonder how much- Like, what did he have before this? As far as, like, what had he done? Yeah. I think prior to this, he was very much known for a little TV series called Rawhide, uh, which began in 1959 and ran through until 1965. He was the lead character in that. Um, It was really prolific, apparently. It went on for a very, 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 very long time. Very long time. Six years. And then, yeah, he started getting into films and spaghetti westerns with Sergio Leone. Yeah, I wonder how much of it was, is like him or like how much of it was his previous experience and how much is like the writing of this film and the character of the lone samurai that made him seem so cool. It's interesting. He's got the eyebrows, maybe. Yeah. And the- the trademark squint, which I actually, through the trivia of this film, actually finally discover where the trademark squint actually comes from. So, uh, more on where that. Where does it come from, Douglas? No, more on that later in the more podcast. More on that later in the podcast. Okie dokie. Keep you hanging. Uh, dope. <laughs> yeah, just a fucking hook, line, and sinker, you know? Uh, but uh, the rest of the rest of the cast is relatively unassuming. Mm. I did write one of my big complaints in my letterbox review. Is just the ADR of this film is oh, it's so bad, man. It's really hard. Really to- horrific. Yeah. Only occasionally do the voices match up with the original performances, <sighs> and most of the time it's just for Clint Eastwood, yeah, not for anyone else. But yeah, that. I really, it's one thing that always throws me right out of a film because the, it's this uncanny valley effect for me where I, I'm watching their expression and I'm, it just doesn't match it just pulls you either out of the it. intensity of what they're saying or the way that they're saying it. It just naturally just doesn't have the same juice as when they were in it in the moment. So- mm. Yeah, definitely pissed me off. Uh, yeah, I, it sounds like pissed you off as well. Yeah, it was. It it was. It, it makes it really difficult to connect with the film, like to yeah. take it seriously, or like I, I I was looking at reviews and there are people giving it five stars, and I'm like, are you are you how 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 are you how can you connect with this story? Because you just feel like you're constantly being pulled out of it. It's just ridiculous. I think what people. Again, from my readings of what other other people have said, they like watching Clint Eastwood basically do this heist, essentially, right. on these two groups of people, um, which and like planting the seeds and then the payoffs that happen as a result of those um, little seeds of deceit that he plants here, there, and everywhere between these these two, always kind of pitching them against one another, mm. which hmm, 
taps lip. Sure sounds like another film that does that, but in a pretty fun and entertaining don't, way as don't well. Don't get if ahead not, of yourself, Douglas. Perhaps better. <laughs> my my number one ADR moment is every time that kid is on screen oh. and it's clearly just a guy. Yeah. Just it's, a it, it, it is really painful. Yeah. Um, they do, you know, they do adapt the story slightly. And I, I guess obviously the setting, Um, it's not just like- the Wild West. It's the border between Mexico and America, like the town is on. Yeah. Which, at the very least, and I mean, when we talk about more story stuff, why that is relevant after spoilers, but it is also like a slightly more interesting location because you've got, you know, the architecture is different and you've got people separated by uh, ethnicity, I guess. Yeah. Which I can't remember if there was like a- in Yojimbo, I think one of the people had like all of the- all of their samurais were like- like neat and nice looking and then there's like a whole other group of like very grubby looking bandit types, I think. Yeah, the Yojimbo- commentary was much more about social status i think mm. the 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 compare the visual comparison between the two different clans i suppose yeah yeah well i don't know i don't feel like i don't have heaps to say heaps else to say free spoilers on this one yeah me either we'll keep it moving Douglas. let's go rip this Great. story to shreds douglas wait do you recommend a fistful of dollars uh, <laughs> we'll see we'll see once um we've watched the other two whether I think they make yeah. it worth mm. watching. But I also mm. suspect the answer will be no, because, like, he is a, a it pretty, like- It sounds like the second movie is just going to blow the first one out of the water. Yeah, so- which Especially is cool. if, 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 if if the second movie does a different thing to what Yojimbo does and sets itself apart, mm. I think the frame of comparison is naturally going to be a lot- harder to make you know it's it just feels a bit strange when there are so many pitfalls within this film that you know if you're at all interested in this story it's like why not just go watch yojimbo because it just does it better yeah exactly unless your dick is like really hard for westerns if you fuck you love Spaghetti Westerns, no, you've no, already watched this movie. No, no, no. If you're, if you're really into Westerns, watch your Jimbo because it does a very- It does the same energy in a different setting and it's yeah, very true. successful. No, I wouldn't really- I wouldn't really recommend it, really. Um, Honestly, I-, I the, the the other thing is I hope the other films have good ADR. I was, it was yes. so distracting. It was just outrageous. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Douglas? Would you recommend it? Thank you for including me. You got uh, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm a bit middling on it. I think I can appreciate why people like it, but again, when the the frame of comparison to Yojimbo is uh, so present, you got to be so on top of your shit as Sergio Leone. And there's just a couple too many things in this where I'm like, mm. it's like we we had uh. another film where it was. It was like, this is a fun story, but there are just too many filmmaking goofs. And you sort of can let them slide most of the time. But when there's just a lot of them, you're kind of like, okay, well, this is is going to affect the experience in a negative way that cannot be like completely overlooked. And, I, and that alone is the case. Ignoring the butchering of the story. <laughs> yeah. um, 
content warnings. I think it's just violent stuff. And like them like kidnapping this kid and or I guess kidnapping the wife actually. Basically take the take the content warnings we used in Yojimbo and Yojimbo, yeah. Drop them back in here. Surprisingly bloodless violence. So at least there's that. Well, gun shooting, but then there is one scene where Clint gets beat up pretty bad and there's a no, that's true. there's like a sword that goes through someone, a machete. That yes, that's someone. right. Yeah, I um, forgot about but that. But it's very spaghetti western, bright red blood kind of violence. <laughs> like, um, it probably read quite well back in the 60s, but now mm. you're like, blood is darker than that. I've <laughs> seen my own blood. <laughs> so weird. I guess that was just the maybe the prop blood they could get their hands on back then or strange. Very, I still don't quite, I, maybe just because they wanted to make the blood pop more. I, I they weren't that, looking probably. for realism. They were just looking for, like, that bright red kind of colour. No, no, no. It's still, I, it's not like they, if they wanted to make blood, they would make blood. So it's yeah. got to be a creative decision of yeah. some kind. Mm. Uh, anyway, let's really swing on over into spoiler. Uh, <laughs> I'm riding over into spoiler town. Is that the sound? Right. Sweat, yeah, yeah. And then uh, me getting off the horse. And then um, I got my poncho on and then cooking, cooking, cooking. I. That's me opening the, the bar yep. door into. Um, I'm in the I'm in the spoiler town saloon and I see a gentleman by the name of Jonathan across the bar. I ain't seen that gentleman cooking, cooking. I ain't seen that gentleman cooking, cooking in about five, seven years. Cooking, cooking. Hey there, Jonathan. You want to serve me up a tall oh. cup of spoilers? Jesus, I'm so glad you're editing this one. This is a. What do you mean? This is a distinct. No, don't. I edited the last one. Don't do this. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> Why are you glad of editing it? That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you're going to have a fucking field day with it. I know that everyone yeah. just heard like 8 million bits of folly that you just slotted in there. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, shit, what do we want to talk about? Uh, yeah, you've completely thrown me off the fucking game. Sorry, yeah, with my- insane soundscapes that my you, mouth can create. You have got Sorry me about thinking that. about the violence <laughs> in there. And yeah, it's like no squibs, which is always like, you know, if it happens once or twice, you're like, whatever. But there's like a big gunfight in the middle of the film and it's so rough. And the other thing is they do that. We've seen it in what is it called? We've seen it in the film where they're mining for gold. I will say you're talking about like the reactions of them getting shot and everything. No, right? what I'm talking why? about is uh oh the treasure of Sierra Madre, that's what I was talking about. Oh um, yeah. Very similar style in terms of like how the gunfights happen in that like, yeah, there's like no squibs, there's like it's just people going like, whoa, and like throwing their hands up in the air. It's Got- Some pretty nifty stunt work on, like, people falling off of horses and stuff like that. I was- Ever since seeing John Wick 4, I'm, like, really appreciative of stunt work now. And I'm like, man, mm. that horse is, like, eating shit. So, yeah, like, those stunt horses good stuff. crazy, surely. I don't know, yeah. I don't know how they're going to do that. They've got lots of shots of people shooting, you know, so they're filling up the frame. They're shooting mm. more or less towards the camera, right? And then, like, mm. a reaction shot of someone falling off a horse and just, like, back and forth. So, like- it was the same thing then. It's the same thing here. Those shots go for- the scenes go for fucking way too long. And they feel like they have no weight to them at all. There is one 
bit in that scene where they sort of zoom out. They take a wide from the other side of the river and you can see horses going. I'm like, oh, awesome. Establishing shot. I feel like I'm there now, right? I feel like what's going on. And then there's another like three minutes of like close shots of people. Sh- and I was just like, I, I, because I think it was that they didn't do the close up. So they didn't do the wide shots of like man on the right shoots gun person on the left gets hit by bullet. Like, I think they didn't do that because I think it was considered too violent. Prior to this movie in American movies, whenever a person was shot, one camera was focused on the shooter who fired his weapon. And a split second later, the director quickly cut to the victim who could be seen being hit and falling to the ground or whatever is what it says on IMDb. Um, I love the nonchalantness of this particular yeah. IMDb trivia entry. <laughs> or whatever, if you even fucking care. Could be seen being hit and falling to the ground or whatever. Uh, Clint Eastwood knew this had always been the way such scenes, such scenes were shot in the States. Try saying that 15 times fast. But didn't bother to tell Sergio Leone. Leone shot the first scene involving any kind of major violence in this movie with the camera shooting from over Eastwood's shoulder as though the viewer was right there watching. So it's not necessarily like a... That, that's, that's, that's good. I just want to see There was both- just an unspoken rule, basically, that like you had... Person shooting, other person, like, reaction shot of the bullet impacting, basically. And then yeah. Sergio Leone went, no, fuck that, because he's just he was just playing fast and loose with it, and Clint didn't tell him that that's just what American movies had done up until that point. And then Sergio just went, yeah, fuck it. And it's good when they do it like that. Like, Center. even yeah, even the over-the-shoulder shot is quite different, but there's just, in the middle, there's, like, so much of- Back and forth. And also at the end, they've got the same thing where there's the guys coming out of the burning building and it just like cuts back and forth between people in the building and then people shooting and people. And it's just, it's like slow. It feels like it might not necessarily be any longer than a differently shot scene, but it just feels like it. Cause every time, like every time you shoot, you have to fucking reacquaint yourself, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, I just hate it. It's, it's, it's sort of a bit of a universal complaint but it still just really really takes me out of it in this mm. i yeah yeah it, it's a it's, it's a shame because i, I will be oh man this makes me really curious so when we get up there and like the the big westerns like the western movies i'm talking like good the bad and the ugly fucking once upon a time in the west which are directed by this same it's sergio leone directing those films as well i mean Serge. when we when we get to those, I'm so curious as to what your reaction is going to be mm. because I remember the um, the action sequences of those films being insanely good. Like, yep. the shootouts and everything, they are, like, immaculate. You can't touch them because they're just pure cinematic gold. I wonder whether, because this is... The first one, uh, he did the Colossus of Rhodes before doing this film, but this is the first Western that Sergio shot that, or directed, that perhaps there is a, a uh, his his ability to do action s- sequences and things will, uh, you know, latch onto you a little bit more. When we yeah, he, like he just stuff. matures his yeah. eye for yeah. making them feel entertaining in that. Or maybe collaborating with Clint Eastwood a little bit more. Like, this is, you know, the first time that they're working together. It's the first time that Ennio is working with Sergio. Like, there's this is the film of firsts that then leads on to, like, fucking cinematic gold. So, 
Yeah, I will be very interested to see what you think. Because it sounds like for the Westerns that we've had so far, you just haven't been a big fan of the action sequences. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that is a universal thing with Westerns. What other Westerns have we had? I think- I think the- Unforgiven was the Clint Eastwood Western. That was- I I don't remember the action scenes. The problem with that was just that it was just- it's very slow pace and just um, limp. Yeah. yeah, I probably wouldn't call Treasure of the Sierra Madre Western. I just don't think. Yeah, I just actually I don't think we've gotten to any like big Western westerns. I think Sierra Madre is definitely. Oh, um, the Butch Cassidy, age. Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. Okay, I don't think I have, did, I, did I have a problem? That was so long ago. I've got no idea. I've had a problem with the action scenes in that <laughs> one. Anyway, um, what I want to say. Oh, I did like. Well. It's interesting how he adapts the more mechanical elements of the film because the plot is really like almost dead on one to one. And the only major plot point that changes is that I don't remember if there was like a convoy of gold that comes through. Did that happen in your Jimbo? I can't remember. Is there something equivalent to that? There's the the military come through to, uh, or I don't think it's military, someone comes in to inspect. The town, and I believe, right. val- uh, verify you know the legality of everything that's happening within the right, town, right, and then right. everyone puts on you know their bright and happy, cheery face, and they stop fighting for a bit, so then they can let that guy pass through and then carry back on again. Do they ambush them in that film? I don't think they do. Don't think so. So that was. I don't think they're th- carrying anything of value. Yeah, that was in an interesting angle in this one because they instead go. Uh, there could be they- like 15 or 20 people screaming at us right now being like it happens in YouTube as well <laughs> <laughs> they, they 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 yeah shoot these dudes down in what is like legitimately a surprise and I think uh, would have been a much more fun scene if it had been shot better like once again I saw the white on that scene of them shooting down the Yankees you at got the- excited. it was cool it was nifty and I was like, I wish I like there the was bit more- where the, there's the one last guy and he's running across, like, yeah. sp- trying to sprint out across the river. And then guy tosses him the fucking Winchester and bah, knocks that guy down. Mm. Ah, that's a that's a really cool, like, establishing the, um, what do you call it? The the impact that that character has, which is it's the, one of the brothers of the, the Rojo <laughs> guys whose name is Ramon. Ramon Rojo. Ramon. And that is a, that leads me right into another bit, which is the way that they go in Yojimbo, everyone's got swords or like, you know, hatchets yes. or whatever. And there's the mm. one guy with the gun and you're like, oh my God, this is like night and day. But in this one, they're like, well, n- we don't all have swords. We got pistols, obviously. So the one guy has a rifle. Yeah, Winchester. that works. He he he, he, he says, we- "Oh, like you're saying the yeah, yeah, yeah. the I'm, like I'm that's playing. the big the big money move amongst like, like all the pistols that are in the town." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is so funny because like a, a rifle would not be like a rare thing at that yeah, time. In the West, it would just sort yeah. of be just a. Uh, depending Especially on when what one you of them are, uh, is it the Rojos? They're the 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 gun merchants, I think. One of them is trading in liquor, and then the other one is trading in firearms. Oh, and, right, right. Um, that's what like brings them the money. But um, no one has a rifle except this one guy. <laughs> like, yeah, it truly is in your Jimbo. 
he's got the pistol and it's like this is a complete game changer yeah. yeah yeah and and in this one it just feels like they're like oh, we gotta make this guy different and uh we'll yeah we'll just pick something that sort of make because you can't give him like a laser gun <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if they did, though. <laughs> We're going to give this guy psionic powers. That is the next, yo. like, step up, right? Telekinetic. Yo. That'd be insane. A Western, but, like, just- That sounds like cable- ca- Cowboys. Cowboys versus aliens, I think, a little <laughs> bit. But uh, I would be here for a genre mishmash of that. Absolutely. Proportion. And and it's also- I, I wonder how much this shows up in the future films, but, like- the concept, and I mean, this is really nitpicking now, but the, the concept that this dude can just go, like, draw and shoot four or five people from the hip. Firing the hammer. Boom, accurately. Boom, boom. I'm like, it's so ridiculous. Whereas you <laughs> compare it to, like, a really good swordsman and he can be like, he can be like, block, chow, block, get this guy, block, get this guy, like, get this guy from behind, whatever. It's just, like, the masterful, like, swords craft. That is the kind of thing where you can be- Add a completely different echelon to the the next, you know, than this group of like yobos. But this this film doesn't do as good a job as selling the man with no name in a gunplay sense. In an intelligence yeah. sense, it sells him very well. Like, mm. um, which by the way, I I also kind of hate that uh the credits kind of blue ball you a bit on the, like it's it's he really like you know the man with no name, blah, but then it's just like oh his name's Joe, that's his <laughs> name. He's called Joe. Uh, so he does have a name. Fuck off every promotional material, putting him out as the man with no name. Well, I mean, that's what the trilogy is called. It's called the man with no name trilogy, but yeah. uh, anyway, um, yes, it does a good job of selling him as like a intelligent, he, he picks the gap. He knows how to sweet talk and, to mm. you know, kind of cruise himself through and be nonchalant and savoir faire. But in a gunplay sense, yeah, it doesn't really- make him an intimidating kind of figure, which, I, again, purely from memory, it makes him so much more... Uh, the, the other films, for um, like Good, the Bad and the Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West, so on and so forth, portray Clint Eastwood in a much more like, holy shit kind of way. Like the, the similar way that we find the lead in Yojimbo as like mm. a... You look at that and you're like, wow, that's like genuine finesse sword play is mm, top point. I respect this guy as a as swordsman. Mm. I think later on down the track, we'll find Clint Eastwood as a more intimidating man with the Yeah. Game. I just- Hopefully. It just- There's all this stuff that felt odd and it felt very symptomatic of literally wholesale taking a script and having to- you know, find and replace elements, you know, like someone goes through the thesaurus and like, okay, well, we got to get something that fits within this universe that plays the role of the thing in that universe. And, you know, that's just odd. I mean, in the, uh, in Yojimbo, when there's the husband and the wife that have been like separated in that one, it's like, she's in the, you know, the, uh, the fortified house, right? And he's just set up like a hovel nearby, right? Because he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Well, this one is like there are two houses, and it's <laughs> and just he's just across the way, he's just like- in the other one. It's just so bizarre. It's strange, and and it's just like 
Well, we we had to fit it into this setting, so that's all we ended up doing. It's just, and they were like, "Well, they're like, we drove him out of town or whatever because he like blew a bet with like playing cards." Mm. And then I guess he's out of town technically, but <laughs> to still be like living right across from where his wife is, you'd think that you know maybe like reset the stakes a little bit and be like, okay, no, go further away, you uh, silly uh, landlubber. Yeah, no, that one. Is, is, that one is, is a also a little peculiar. bit weird in Yojimbo in in their defense, but true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think I think just in general, there's so much of this film that made it harder to establish yourself in this town. Like, I, it just didn't feel as real to me, I think. Like, there is l- literally establishing shots, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. So, so do we have any more miserable thoughts or uh, are we done shooting on this thing? Yeah, I think I'm good. Uh, it's not- yeah, genuinely not Ooh, too much. I really liked the rotoscoped opening. I thought that was very yes, fun yeah, and unique. Very, and I, we haven't creative. seen something like that yes. in the in the podcast before. So yes, especially I, from this time period, very cool. Mm-mm. Yo, Cowboys and Aliens stars Daniel Craig. Yeah, for real, oh. dude. Yep, I've checked my notes, Douglas. I don't really have anything else important to say. I think there is plenty of stuff that sort of makes Clint Eastwood look like a really cool dude, which is sort of the key, you know. And exactly. it obviously worked because there were two more of these films with this character. So I can't entirely give them uh, shit for that. Yeah, but- it worked for people. And also, I think the film worked for them as well. Like, evidently, yeah. Clint Eastwood, Sergio Leone, Ennio Morricone, like, they all got on board with each other. And they were mm. like, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm digging what you're doing. You're digging what I'm doing. Let's just keep fucking spinning this racket until... Uh, it just it works, and apparently it worked. Yeah, baby. Well, time will uh, tell. Let's get the fuck out of here, Douglas, and let's get the fuck into the spoiler zone. I'm ch- I'm, I'm mentally checking to see if we got anything else to say. No, right? No. no. Cool. Spoiler, spoiler zone. zone, please, Douglas. Wait, no, no the spoiler zone. Trivia time. The trivia zone. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you just like, I was ready to say trivia, but then you like, I somehow we both got on the same wavelength and said spoiler time. It's crazy. Uh, we, uh, uh, I need to have the document in front of me and I do not. Clint Eastwood's contract for Rawhide prohibited him from making movies in the United States while on break from the series. However, the contract did allow him to accept movie assignments in Europe. Well, there you go. Yeah, the- Cheeky little bastard. What was the, the sort of intention with filming these westerns in Italy? Just that, I don't know, fucking Italians it- just were vibing the idea of westerns and they were like, hey. I feel I like there's got to have been like, it was cheaper or it was subsidized. <laughs> like, hey. or, uh, yeah, yeah. Here's your real. pizza. <laughs> I mean, sorry, look, that's a that's not a slight. I'm not. It's not a stereotype <laughs> against Italians. That's a that's a comedy. It's a Arti Donna Arti Donna reference. It's it sounds a lot better, but it's done by Mark Bonato. Does getting his ass fucking cancelled? Italian. <laughs> God damn. Shit. Sorry, what were you saying? Italy's an interesting place because it's quite close to English and Spanish speakers in mm. the same way that like Central America is. So mm. I guess there's that if you wanna if you wanna throw I'm I think sure 
there must be something documented about why there were so yeah, many I, westerns. I don't think this is a huge mystery, Douglas. I think we know. Why? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> human race. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I think we all know what the reason is why there were so many westerns shot in Italy. Why, Jonathan? I don't know. <laughs> you I think fuck. it was just cheaper. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. That probably tracks. Made on low budgets and yeah, shot at uh, Cinecita Studios uh, and various locations around southern Italy and Spain. Goddamn. There you go. There you go. Um, the, it's always about money, the- Douglas. It's always the money. It's always about the cash manuka. Uh, while we're on the subject, this has been described as the first spaghetti western, which is an Italian-made western. Uh, but when the movie was made, there had already been about 25 such westerns <laughs> produced in Italy. This was, however, the first to receive a major international and American release, which is why some of the cast and crew members were credited with American-sounding names, e.g. director Sergio Leone as Bob Robertson and Gian Maria Volante as Johnny Wells, cinematographer Massimo Dallamano as... As Jack Dalmas and composer Ennio Morricone as Dan Savio, they whitewashed the fuck out of those guys. I what is it with Americans? What the fuck? So this is why fucked. this is why Americans don't know anything about the outside fucking world about other cultures. Like because just, like America their whole is thing has just the been center of their world and like adapting everything so it fits. America. America. It's just crazy. It's so odd. Because this was an Italian slash West German slash Spanish co-production, didn't know West German made its way in there, there was a significant language barrier on the set. Clint Eastwood communicated with writer and director Sergio Leone and the Italian crew, mostly through stuntman Benito Stefanelli, who also acted as an unofficial interpreter for the production. Wow. That's kind of cool. Very cool. Since all of the footage was filmed silently, Clint Eastwood did not add his voice to the soundtrack until 1967 when the movie was prepared for US release. Oh. So it's just some other dude voicing Clint Eastwood. For what? Video. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. That's nuts. That's yeah. something else. Sergio Leone was so enraptured with Ennio Morricone's score that he would frequently let scenes run longer than they should just so the music could play out fully. That's, that's nice. That's very nice. That's very man. sweet. That's cool. To be so enraptured by someone's compositions. That's pretty cool. Like, I, I do feel it, keep like- it, Keep it rolling. I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure the, interest are, uh, the instruments are. There's some, like, more stingy- intru- uh, Fuck me. More stingy instruments. Keep that one in, Doug. That's a funny gaff. Um, <laughs> the bit that goes- doo-doo-doo, Like the- It's like a high pitch. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah woodwind. It's a woodwind. Yeah. It's probably just a flute. Well, um, that makes sense. That I, I do find that a little distracting because there's lots of the guitar behind it is quite fun, but it's still quite a good soundtrack, quite a good score. I agree. And I think it's, again, it's the first of what are soon to be a great many fantastic Ennio Morricone uh, soundtracks. So, mm. um, yeah. At first, Clint Eastwood had some major disagreements with writer and director Sergio Leone, particularly over the script, which he found too verbose. But after convincing Leone to cut his dialogue to a minimum, the two men began to collaborate more productively. Eastwood's tacitum performance, question mark, don't know how to say that word, would later become a trademark of his subsequent westerns and crime dramas. 
What does taciturn mean? This cunt just not want to talk. I guess like- so. Like I, may- <laughs> I, I think, I think. I want to make my scenes easier by reducing the I amount I talk. I think he I didn't talk. think he was all that interesting a person to listen to. So, he just right. like just, was just like, don't fucking make me speech. Just fucking just um, don't make me talk. I just let me look cool, um, which I think is fair enough. I think that's a humble enough thing. But I guess then he goes on to direct a bunch of movies that aren't very humble. Uh, Clint Eastwood's trademark squint was caused by the combination of the sun and high wattage arc lamps on the set. Right. <laughs> and then that just he just made that so these his ones. Thing. These ones, he was, like, squinting because he had to. And then he's like- Yeah. If this happened for the first couple of films, he's like, fuck, I gotta do this for the rest of my fucking life. And then, he, yeah, yeah. Everyone was like- He probably, like, would do a shot and then they'd be like, no, give me the squint. And then he'd be like, ah, oh, fuck like, me. <sighs> God, can't help but get a little bit jaded by that, I guess. Sergio Leone warmed Clint Eastwood very quickly and joked that he had only two expressions. With hat or without hat. <laughs> Very well, different character. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, there's a bunch of trivia on this film, but uh, I'm going to leave it with two more. After considering Henry Fonda, writer and director Sergio Leone, offered the role of the man with no name to James Coburn, who proved to be too expensive. Charles Bronson then turned it down after describing it as the, quote, worst script I have ever seen, end quote. Third choice, Richard Harrison, also declined the role, but pointed Leone in the direction of Rawhide. Leone then offered the part to Rawhide star Eric Fleming, who turned it down, but suggested his co-star Clint Eastwood for the part. The rest, as they say, is history. Leone eventually worked with Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson in Once Upon a Time in the West and James Coburn in A Fistful of Dynamite. Is that one... Is A Fistful of Dynamite like a spoof? No, it's just called A Fistful of Dynamite. What? You, this- did you think it's supposed to be a runoff of... Um- a Fistful of Dollars, yeah. Nope, it's not. That is fucking bizarre. I think it's called something else in um other countries. I think it's called, like, Dark... And cover, I think. Duck You Sucker is what it's called. Um, Oh, that's too rude. You can't call that in America. Exactly. So, uh, it became a fistful of dynamite uh, elsewhere. Which one is worse? It's a little hard to tell. (laughs) Flip a coin. Uh, And then finally, uh, I think we must have- I must have given this piece of trivia in the- um, uh, the body of the podcast. Trivia. Oh, okay. This movie is a remake of Yojimbo, which itself was based on the as yet unadapted 1929 novel Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett. In fact, this movie's US release was delayed when Yojimbo screenwriters Akira Kurosawa and Ryozu uh, Kikushima sued the filmmakers for breach of copyright. Kurosawa and Kimishima Kikushima won, and as a result, received 15% of this movie's worldwide gross and exclusive distribution rights for Japan, Taiwan, and South Korea. When Kurosawa released the film in Japan, he pointedly retitled it The Return of Yojimbo. Kurosawa said he made more money off of this movie than he did off of Yojimbo. Oh my god. And look- Ain't that- ain't that just full circle piece, baby? I love that. You milk that cow. You didn't- you didn't- you made the OG shit. Doesn't matter, Kurosawa. You just fucking ride that puppy home and you can sleep easy knowing that Yojimbo is the better film. <laughs> I do love that that uh, potential lead who was said it was the worst script he'd ever read. Yeah, that's so fucking funny. <sighs> Charles Bronson was, uh, yeah. My man, the Charles. Worst script he ever read. Well, Douglas and audience, 
If you enjoyed this episode of the 250 Podcast, we put new episodes out every week, Tuesday, midnight, Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want more info on the freaking podcast? If you want more info on the podcast, you can go to www.250.com. The, again, recently updated www.250.com. A working website. Woo-woo. And it looks dope. There's a bunch of posters of all the films that we've done on the 250 so far, as well as all of the films that we've got coming up, the snapshot of IMDb's top 250 films of all time on the homepage for you there. There's a couple of links at the very top there. There's a link to check out our Instagram, which is at 250pod. Uh, and then there's a link to listen to us on both uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you don't, if you enjoyed this episode of the 250, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're getting bombed over there because uh, <laughs> I think we maybe disliked a couple of films that rubbed a couple of people the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, therefore, they've been reviewing Bowie Us. So, uh, if you did enjoy this episode of the 250, please give us a five stars over on Apple Podcasts. We, we appreciate that. Um, but I guess we're reaming this film out as well. So, probably we're not going to yeah, be yeah, making yeah, yeah. too many friends on this podcast. This is the hard uh, this thing about the episode. This is what happens. This is the curse of trying to be genuine, Douglas. Ah, <laughs> uh, having an opinion, doesn't it suck? Uh, and uh, that's it. It's your time to speak. Okay, yeah. my time to speak. Douglas and I, <laughs> Douglas and I both <laughs> it's got lightheaded. Yeah, Douglas and I both use Letterbox, which is a movie tracking uh, and reviewing website. God, I never had to think <laughs> about that one. That we're both great big fans of. My account on Letterboxd is Upa, that is U U U P A H, and Douglas. My account is Ianzo Knight, I E N Z O K N I G H T, Ianzo Knight. You can look up Upa, Ianzo Knight, or 250 in a Letterbox search engine. And you'll find us. I don't know why. Something is really going up at my nose there. Did uh, you find written reviews of all the films that we talk about that on the 250s? Well, anything else we watch in our spare time? I'm losing it, man. I'm lightheaded. Uh, what did I watch in my spare time? I watched Guy Montgomery by name, Guy Montgomery by nature, which I'm is so psyched. a I'm so psyched you stand-up that. special starring the one and only Guy Montgomery. Jonathan has also watched it. What'd you think of it, Jonathan? I saw it in person, Douglas. What'd you think of it, Jonathan? It was one of my favorite comedy shows of the year. Wow. <laughs> His manner of presentation is a little like Seinfeld-esque, mm. uh, I think, but in a very good way. And yeah. it's it's after after the fucking Adelaide Fringe, it is nice to go to a comedian and not have every second joke be about like sex or like poops or something like so many comedians have nothing funny to say, and he just really strikes me as being, like, legitimately super creative, and I, I love this motherfucker. I love him so much. It's on Paramount+. Plus, Guys, it is a fucking pain in the ass to watch this thing, but you can, get, you can get a trial of Paramount+, Plus for seven days. You can get the trial, immediately cancel it so they don't charge you, and then watch the special, and then get the fuck out, because nothing else on there looked that interesting to me. Or that exclusive. There's, yeah, no. The only thing that was on there that I was interested in was SpongeBob. Uh, but that's it. Somehow they like managed the to show? make the rights to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, surely there are other places. I think half of those episodes are just on YouTube anyway. Yeah, exactly. And the good ones anyway. The like mm. the 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 first like three four seasons. Um, they're pro- probably all very easily accessible anyway. Uh, yes, I also really enjoyed it. I just love the way that he delivers things and how he- His delivery, that was the word I was looking for. The way, I think what 
separates a good comic from a shit comic is the way that they can segue between gag to gag to gag. Yeah. And the way that Guy Montgomery segues is fucking effortless. Like, it's- you you don't even know you're in the next bit until you're in the next bit. When he pulled out his bum bag and he started fucking around with that and then he just gets (laughs) one thing from the bum bag and lobs it across the stage and then he turns that into a bit, like- it's it's really fucking good. It's really really good. Go go give it a watch if you uh, haven't already done a seven day free trial of Paramount Plus, or if for some reason you have Paramount Plus. Uh, <laughs> then I also watched Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves, which I also know dear friend Jonathan also has watched Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves as well. So we can talk about that for a little hot second. What did you think of Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves? John? I thought it was pretty fun, Douglas. This is a it's a hard one to talk about as a person who I haven't done recently, Dungeons but plays yeah. Dungeons and Dragons uh, because you are definitely somewhat swayed by like oh the thing I know that. Exactly. And, and like, I, me, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> really badly, but I, I just don't have like a friend circle to play it with. Uh, I, I, some of our pals are running, gonna be running a game soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Unless I, something goes wrong. There's, there's a new joint that's set up. Um, I think, what is it? Fortress is set up in Sydney. And they do like, you pay like 30 bucks and then you can just do like a little one shot campaign. Adventurers Guild stuff, I guess. Yeah, it sounds kind of cute. I might go do that sometime. But I was watching the film and just constantly, every second turn, I was like, I bet I would really like this if I had any idea about (laughs) (laughs) what some of those little Easter eggy kind of things are. It it wasn't, it wasn't, um, all the stuff that I recognised, it didn't really feel like things that would... Like there weren't there weren't heaps of in jokes. I didn't I didn't feel right. Like no, but it's more so like there's the thing, right? Yeah, but I, I didn't. I don't think that really drove my. I don't think that was the number one driving force for my enjoyment. I did love the thing where there's the there's the artifact that lets you raise the dead so you can ask the five questions and one of the characters says that's a bit arbitrary isn't it five questions and they're like <laughs> i don't know man. shut up yeah <laughs> but they don't but there isn't heaps of like self uh 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 jokes like that what's the term for yeah. that whatever yeah um, yeah yeah like it's like uh, uh, uh you know the Dungeons thing from the dragons thing? yeah the two yeah, yeah. things that i really really loved about this film Besides Hugh Grant was yes. <laughs> that they bring the fucking fat dragon from that one pre-made in like five E, which is which that is was hilarious, fantastic. Because I watched so it with a good. I watched it with a friend who hasn't who hasn't played or interacted with D and D at all, and they're like, "Why was the dragon fat?" And I'm like, "Why not? Why not? Like you're gonna remember it now, right?" And, exactly. And, and I was immediately like, I love this little fucker. He's waddling around. Yeah, and they do so much cool animation stuff with it. Like, it's legitimately yeah, really unique. It's very, very cool. And, and whenever he tries to spit fire, it's like- <laughs> And then, yeah. like, it coats. <laughs> and the other thing is that this is one of the- f- I, 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 Nothing is coming to mind of a film with such a solid platonic relationship between a guy and a lady. Yeah. Yeah. Like- they don't that- spin it at the end to be like, oh, they hook up. It's just like these guys are just fucking vibing together. They're great friends. They've helped yeah. raise this kid together. Like, wonderful. 
really fun and and i think you can read into it if you want to but i think the film is pretty explicitly like they're like they a, don't get together <laughs> she's got a thing for four feet tall guys you know yeah oh my god right okay uh i guess kind of the uh, spoilery territory it's not really Dungeons a spoiler there are ha- there are halflings in the setting it's not really new yeah but like there's a bit at the end where there's a halfling giving her the uh, like the medal or whatever, and then she like she's like mm, like bites the bottom lip. Like, she's like down. I'm like yeah. <laughs> it gets so like the it's just it's so I haven't felt this giddy about like this kind of a film since Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Like it has that perfect naughty's adventure kind of a franchise vibe on its hands, mm. and I love these directors. These are the same guys who did Game Night. Which oh. shows immensely in the way that it's shot, in the way that it's styled, in the way that it handles its comedy, a la sometimes very hit or miss. But when the hit hits, it fucking hits. Like, it's really fucking good. Yeah, just very, like, just fun. It was just a really fun mm. film. I just walked away from it and I was like, I'm not, you know, particularly mind blown by anything in particular, but I had a lot of fun. Especially in the third act. Some of the shit in the third act, I was like, my God, this is like really well paced, expertly choreographed and put together. And a lot of the stuff I was like, oh, yeah, I could imagine rolling for that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I could imagine like there would be a check here. You know what I mean? There's so many things where, and this is very key to people people who haven't played D&D, is very free form because there isn't a, Mm. a rule book. There is a rule book, but it is like <laughs> the 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 sort of vibe with the game is that there is a person who is in charge of facilitating the story and and sort of enforcing the rules. But the number one job is to have fun and have do fun. things yeah. that make it fun. So if a, if someone goes, "Hey, we want to do this," it's not explicitly something you can do in the rules at all, but logically it is something we can do in this situation. You were the good it DM. Sounds pretty fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. You say, "Okay, let's let's do, do it. something together," or like. Fuck it. That's so cool. I'm just going to let you do it. Let you it's do it. fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> and it definitely had that feeling in a couple of places where it's stuff that's like very out there and freeform and, and a bit like, you know, uncharted style, you know, just like a bit crazy. But because it's so cool, you can sort of. And I think that, if anything, is like such a, a rousing um, recommendation of tabletop RPGs. Is like you can. S- yeah. This is this feels like the game does in a lot of ways. And it's just it was also really cool to see people just going to watch the film. You know, like if mm. you said you were a fan of Dungeons and Dragons this time, like twenty years ago, even like probably ten years ago, people would be like, "What Dungeons and what now?" Sorry, but. With properties and IPs like Stranger Things, bringing Dungeons and Dragons more into like a a mainstream, I guess, kind of a uh, setting or a being more aware of Dungeons and Dragons. There are many, 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 many more people who get what Dungeons and Dragons is fundamentally. So mm. just to see the amount of people in the theater that I did, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm really glad that the people that worked on this film are hopefully getting a good little check 
<laughs> I, I reckon that I, I have a strong feeling this shit's getting a sequel. I don't know how much money it's made. I I I really hope it's it seems franchise worthy. Like it seems Absolutely. like there's more to play with here. Even if you just completely kibosh these characters and just go like, hey, here's another party um who are doing another thing. I think that there's yeah, it's got legs. Um and that's the thing, like, it is because video game films are sort of the equivalent, right? And normally video game films have a very strong setting as well. But this is like D&D is a setting. Like it mm. is a world with complex systems and political intrigue. And there are books and books and books about characters. When they're talking about um, locales and stuff like that, I was like, oh, Baldur's Gate. I know, where, I know what that word is. Oh, oh. <laughs> Pop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's stuff all through that. And there were some particular choices of uh, Wizards of the Coast have a a set, a small set of copyright creatures, right? So, it's the same way that like- So, for example, they don't have hobbits in this. D&D- Original D&D had hobbits and then the Tolkien estate copyrighted it or trademarked it. So, they have halflings, right? Uh, But they do have- a handful of, like, specific creatures that are, like, their creations, like the Displacer Beasts, which are the panthers with the tentacles on them. Yeah, that shit's so cool. Uh, uh, so, that's, that's specifically a copyright owned by them. And they left out a couple of key ones that very much seem to me like, we are quite prepared to do a sequel for this so that we can yeah. use these later, but we don't want to, like, blow our load on the first film. We just drop in a couple of the recognisable ones and then, like- Leave everyone like wanting for that. I, 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 it's just competent. It was just, it was just cool. <laughs> I like the inclusion of mimics as well. I mean, I'm sure that was a thing in mm. D first before it was ever a thing in video games. Um, but you know, it I'm not like, sure, actually, I wonder where, I wonder where the, um, the initial the, that, mimic yeah. came from. Yeah. Who knows? Re- origin of treasure chest mimic. Just while we're talking about it, I just got curious and looked up the trivia of um, Dungeons and Dragons and the the film. And I uh, just found this that I really want to share. Hugh Grant spoke out on his concerns with the tough crowd that Dungeons and Dragons fans can be, as well as his hopes of winning them over, saying, quote, I'm scared stiff of the gamers because they're very territorial about the game they love. So they may want to hate it, but they're not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing is like... Any other game based or, you know, like the conversion from one medium to a film is going to be an uphill battle because you have a set story with a set key character and everyone has this fucking idea of that character in their heads that is like so out there, right? D&D is just a setting and there are big key characters that will probably come up. I'm not sure. I think these are all unique characters. There's- a mm. I cannot remember the guy's name, but there's like a very well-known series of uh, books, for example. Like, I wouldn't be surprised those dudes come out, but this is not what oh, this like film's about. Uh, Drizzt or whatever. The, yeah, the, Drizzt like and that. that's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the film is just like, here's this cool what? world and some crazy dudes in it. In the Australian edit of the film, the comedy group Auntie Donna provides the voices of the corpses. No one told me this. <laughs> That's why they were doing the promotional material for it. Oh, my God. Holy shit. That's so cool. We got to see if we can see that. Oh, Only for man. the Australian cut. Yeah, that's fucked up. 
Okay. And also, All right. Wait. Well, on that note, we need to get out of here, Douglas. We've got to go watch yeah, YouTube sorry. videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got, we've got to do some research. Uh, thank you for tuning in to 250. We'll see you next week for a horrifically depressing film. Bye. Bing, 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 bing. I'm excited. Just kidding. Fuck.